Hello and welcome to the next episode of our Tilney Investment Podcast. I'm Blair Winton, Director of Investment Management from Tilney's Birmingham office, and I'm talking with Ben Seeger-Scott, our Head of Multi-Asset Funds, about what's going on in markets at home and abroad, the UK election, the latest round of economic data, and the US-China trade war. Before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, it's been another eventful month. What's been going on since the last time we spoke? Well, there's been a lot of activity in terms of economic data and politics, uh, but actually the markets are really, ever, even more so than earlier in the year, taking it in their stride. I think for the last couple of years, there's been lots of reactions to every every tweet, every economic data point. But actually in November, so far at least, markets haven't really reacted particularly significantly um, and really def- res- resorted to, to type, which means equities drifting higher and other asset classes moving off just by the numbers um, so far in, in November. Equity markets in the UK, UK markets up 1.7, Europe and Japan up 2.3, and the US up 2.7, really just drifting higher, climbing a bit of a wall of worry. I mean, the US in particular, again, markets have hit fresh all-time highs, but again, we continue the theme of the unloved bull market, even though markets are at all-time highs, still there's a lot of concern broadly, broadly out there and a lot of negative talk, if anything. As the US markets moved higher, we've seen the VIX index, which measures volatility, often called the fear index, has dropped back to to very low levels, arguably uh, a potential sign of complacency. So uh, I think that those are some signals we're seeing from the equity market. Elsewhere, government bonds initially sold off earlier in the month, but have since come back uh, a little bit. 10-year gilt yield is now at 0.66%, so very low level and perhaps insightful as we look at the political backdrop. Uh, US 10-year yields at 1.7, so all still pretty tight, but they have been loosening up a little bit. And elsewhere, if we look at gold, your traditional risk risk off asset that's been selling off as well so that's dropped below the $1,500 mark finished around $1,450 so it's been a little bit of a risk on but but very very gently currencies whipsawed around but hasn't moved dramatically we've seen the dollar strengthening a little bit it's been weakening recently Uh, net we've seen a dollar strength, whereas the euro has been a little bit weaker. But again, the movement's all all been fairly marginal. And there is a sense that that markets broadly are waiting for some sort of catalyst, maybe an inflection point in the economic data before getting too enthusiastic. It's been hard to avoid election coverage here in the UK. What's Tilney's view on the potential outcomes and their impact on markets? Well, it, it starts off with the usual caveat that we're apolitical and calling any particular economic outcome is incredibly difficult. And I don't want to go into too much detail 
with the politics here. I'm sure listeners can, can get their, their politics elsewhere. But from an investment point of view, it does bear, it does worth reiterating, generally a, a Labour government is considered by the market to be bad for sterling assets very broadly. So I think we can read a little bit in. Um, there is potentially some expectation that the markets might drift up until we have the election. But as you look at it today, there is broadly considered to be a, a lead of the Conservatives over the other parties. That is not necessarily particularly useful. It doesn't necessarily matter how far ahead the Tories are, because the other parties effectively are are very unlikely to form a coalition. So unless the Tories get an absolute majority, uh, you're likely to have some sort of arrangement between Labour, the Lib Dems and the SNP. Uh, But as we look at, at the polling, what is interesting and what we've had out very recently YouGov's MRP poll. So MRP is a multi level regression and post stratification model. Lots of people are very excited by this. Pollsters have, have come in for a, for a bit of a, a kicking recently, given their inability to call any sort of uh, election or referendum results, which is potentially a little unfair. But this MRP methodology correctly called the 27 election, 2017 election as being um, a hung parliament, whereas at the time, this was a good 10 days before the election, at the time, if you cast your minds back, every other poll was predicting a strong conservative Win. So there's been a lot of uh, excitement around this poll, and that shows that the latest reading, a 68-seat majority for the Tories. So at the time, everyone disregarded it, saying that it's an untested methodology, let's ignore it. This time, there's potentially too much focus on the poll, given how uh, well it, it got the 2017 result. Uh, I think there is the risk of reading too much into a statistical anomaly. Remember that Paul the Octopus got eight matches right in the the 2010 uh, World Cup prediction. So I would take it with a pinch of salt. But I think it is fair to say the current consensus is uh, a Tory majority uh, is reasonably likely. It's closest to most people's base cases. But against that, some sort of of Remain-esque second referendum uh, coalition or, or loose arrangement is in scope. And as that feeds into investments, well, broadly, a softer Brexit outlook, either from the Conservatives with their withdrawal agreement or some soft uh, Remain-esque outcome is likely to be supportive, all else being equal, for sterling. We've talked before, sterling swinging around that $130 mark. Uh, Anything below is hard Brexit, anything above is softer. It's still sitting at $130 because there's a lot of other uncertainties out there. But I think if you look at the outcome, all of the current scenarios tend to favour some sort of softer form of Brexit. So that is generally likely to be positive for sterling. And at the same time, both major parties are talking about significant increases in spending. We've talked before about fiscal stimulus. Both Conservatives and Labour are talking this up. And if you have more spending, it seems unlikely either party's tax policy will completely offset that. So higher spending is likely to lead to higher borrowing and that in turn could impact government bonds. It comes back to that point I said, if you've got the tenure at 66 basis points and both parties look like they're going to need to borrow more, that does sort of endanger that level. And that's why in our core strategies, we're keeping duration, that is interest rate sensitivity, as low as we can. So in terms of the strategy, I think you could see markets tread water. If you have a conservative government, I think a majority that is, I think you could see a short-term relief rally. The markets are a little bit worried about a Corbyn-led government given some of the extreme policies. 
I think the other aspect, which potentially is slightly more interesting, if we do see the, the Tories not get a majority and instead you have a Labour, SNP and Lib Dem arrangement, I think you might see an initial sell-off given some of the concerns over the extreme policies that Corbyn has been talking about. Interestingly, I think that could be an interest, uh, a potential entry point into the market, partly because that sell-off would be a knee-jerk reaction. All of the indications are without an absolute majority, it would be very difficult for Labour to deploy some of the more extreme policies. So even though that could lead to a sell-off, it might be an interesting entry opportunity into the market. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And have you any thoughts on sterling in particular? Um, sterling, all else being equal, I would expect to, to drift higher. Um, it is at quite a significant discount on most measures. So you can look at elements such as purchasing power parity, which is a clever way of really talking about the Big Mac index. You know, a, a standard commodity like a Big Mac should cost the same um, in the UK, US and everywhere else. That indicates that, that sterling is a little bit cheap or quite cheap compared to the dollar. And a soft Brexit should put upward pressure. A lot of it, though, does depend on some of the domestic policy and the fine balance between that and some of the fiscal policies could still have an impact, which is why I think it hasn't yet appreciated. So we've just had the latest round of quarterly economic data, including GDP numbers, and they haven't been always entirely encouraging. Meanwhile, some markets are setting all-time highs. What are your views on well, I think in terms of GDP, you're exactly right. They haven't been particularly inspiring and Q3 has really been been no different. Yes, the numbers in emerging markets look, look very high, but emerging markets require a higher level of GDP in order to, to sort of achieve their, their economic output. They generally require a higher level. In terms of, uh, of Western economies, the GDP this time hasn't been terrible. So I think that's perhaps the best you can take away, but certainly um, not inspiring, continuing this theme of, of continued slowdown. Um, a lot of people have highlighted that Germany has avoided a technical recession. That was a big concern, a recession, technical recession being two consecutive quarters of economic contraction. Uh, and in the, the third quarter, the German economy was up 0.1%. So, you know, hardly inspiring but it avoided a technical recession. Against that, Q2 was revised down from minus 0.1 to minus 0.2. So, I mean, it's a bit of an odd one. If you had two quarters, they expected minus 0.1. So if you have two quarters of minus 0.1 growth, then that's considered bad technical recession. Where instead, we've got minus 0.2 and then just about 0.1. So, I mean, a, a bit of it is sequencing, uh, sequencing uh, anomaly. Um, so there, there are still some struggles in Germany. More broadly, though, Europe had a bit of a pickup. It increased from 1.1 to 1.2%. These are year-on-year numbers. Slightly ahead of expectation, but still uh, an absolute level pretty low. Um, the US has been better. They, they use an annualised figure. And in Q3, we saw the, the annualised rate pick up from 2.0 to 2.1, which isn't terrible. Uh, close to home in the UK, though, it wasn't a particularly good story. We saw UK GDP fall from 1.3 to 1.0 year on year, which is worse than expected. Against that, even though we haven't entered a recession and are still a little way away from it in the UK, it's worth noting that if you look at the earnings figures, the UK ent entered what's considered an earnings recession. So UK PLC has had two quarters of earnings falling. That wasn't unexpected. We've talked before about some of the challenges uh, to, to the domestic economy, and it hasn't been unsurprising as we've seen earnings expectations dip this year. But again, on those backward looking measures, it hasn't been a particularly uh, inspiring period. 
And what about economic data, not the GDP numbers, the other the other stuff that you look at? Yeah, so so some of the other measures, particularly the forward-looking measures, carry an increasing level of importance. One of the problems with, with GDP measures and indeed earnings figures, they are backward-looking. So you don't know if you're in a recession till several months into the future. So they're not particularly insightful. And the reason that you can have these poor economic data coupled with equities at high valuations is around expectations because markets are forward-looking in nature. Uh, And with that, we talked at the top about an inflection. We might be seeing the early stages of an inflection, a turnaround in the data, but it's not particularly clear. One of the key areas we look at is is PMI data, it's purchasing manager indices. We talk about that a lot. These are forward-looking estimates. And there we can see some of the global estimates have started to pick up. They might be turning a, a corner. They have been dipping since July, but actually for November, we saw them increase. Again, not good numbers, but a stabilization. Um, so as we know, PMIs, anything less than 50 indicates contraction, anything more than 50 indicates expansion. As we look, global manufacturing, so this takes all the regional data and lumps them together. Global manufacturing has ticked up, but it's still at 50.7. Services at 51.4. So very low 50s aren't particularly inspiring, but at least they're starting to, to inflect. If we look at some of the details, also some of the employment figures and some of the future output numbers are starting to pick up. So you could argue that there's some, some reasonable data in there. But again, it's been mixed. In the UK, we had some bad economic data. If you look at earnings, earnings fell from 37 to 3.6% year on year. Now that's still above inflation, that's still pretty solid, but markets had been hoping that would pick up further. And that follows on, if you don't have good earnings, that's potentially going to dent the consumer. That's exactly what we're seeing. Retail sales numbers are okay, but they've fallen to an 18-month low. And that's important, as we've highlighted repeatedly. The one thing keeping the economy going as businesses get cautious has been the consumer. So seeing wages fall, or wage growth starting to fall, and retail sales figures start to fall, raises a question mark. Industrial production was disappointing as well. Um, And I think that that's really the challenge, even though a lot of people have said we're close to a Brexit deal, all of that pent-up demand, that relief potentially comes through if we have either a Brexit deal or even if if, uh, Article 50 is revoked. But that in and of itself isn't enough. We need to see that coming through in the sentiment surveys. Um, So not great in the UK, but potential for some of that demand to come through. Some of the survey data in Europe has been picking up as well. There's uh, what's called the ZU surveys, this is economic sentiment. Those are indicating even though current conditions aren't great, businesses do see some sort of pickup potentially from the resolution of Brexit, but also the US and uh, China trade, uh, trade conflict. So the data in absolute terms aren't ideal, but they are starting to turn around. And what we're really going to be looking for is business sentiment, particularly around areas such as wages and capital expenditure. Those are the economic fundamentals that we need to see the economy really turn around from here. You mentioned it just briefly there, and it would be good to catch up on the current state of the US-China trade war. Are we seeing positive progress here? Uh, we, we are seeing some signs of progress. Not a huge amount has changed from last month. It's been a bit of a stall. By this point, we're expecting to have the phase one deal signed. Um, that's dragged on a little bit. The, all of the factors remain the same insofar as it's now in the interest of both sides, both the US 
and China to get this deal done, to go back to how they were, um, if not with tariffs rolled back, to how they were before the, the currently threatened tariffs are in play, particularly around agriculture. Uh, so all of those details are still in play. We've seen a few tweets and a few signals from both sides, both trying to push their luck, but they're being very tentative. Remember what what uh, caused the, the fresh reignition of the trade war earlier this year was very much this brinksmanship, asking for a little bit too much at the, at the last minute. So they are being very careful. The potential fly in the ointment is, is around Hong Kong. So very recently, in fact, overnight as we're recording this podcast, the US uh, President Trump has signed into law uh, the Hong Kong, the Human Rights and Democracy Act that really effectively requires an annual review to check on Hong Kong's autonomy. And if it doesn't meet that test, tariffs will be applied. That's probably going to to, uh, cause some upset between the two. That said, politically, I don't think Donald Trump really had a choice. It was imposed on him by Congress. Uh, And I think if you were... If you were looking at just the, the merits of the deal, this political sideshow shouldn't really have an impact. This and potentially some of the restriction of the sales of equipment such as rubber bullets. It shouldn't really have a fundamental impact if you're looking bureaucrat to bureaucrat. The problem is we've seen on both sides there are somewhat personal sensitivities and perceived slights. So it could cause a wrinkle. I would hope not. Fundamentally, there's no reason it should. But as we've seen so many times, it's these small details that can sometimes uh, derail uh, entire deals. Thank you, Ben, for your comments. We'll be back again in the new year with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. Thanks for listening.